Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to IFHPodcastNetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 564. The cinema has no boundary. It is a ribbon of dream. Orson Welles. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's show is sponsored by... Indie Film Hustle Pro, our private and growing community for filmmakers and screenwriters. It was created for film creatives like you to meet, network, and support each other, learn from film industry experts, and to get the answers to your burning questions and more. The journey in this business is rough. There is no guarantee to success, but your chances of reaching your goals dramatically improve when you find others who are on the same journey as you and you work together towards a common goal. That is why I put together IFH Pro. Inside, you'll get professional networking, private and safe spaces to discuss the film business, access to advanced tools and education, up-to-date education, exclusive content not available publicly, access to IFH Pro workshops, webinars, special guests, and so, so much more. If you want to check it out, head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash pro. Today's show is also sponsored by Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, how to turn your independent film into a profitable business. It's harder today than ever before for independent filmmakers to make money with their films, from predatory film distributors ripping them off to huckster film aggregators who prey upon them. The odds are stacked against the indie filmmaker. The old distribution model of making money with your film is broken and there needs to be a change. The future of independent filmmaking is the entrepreneurial filmmaker or the film entrepreneur. In Rise of the Film Entrepreneur, I break down how to actually make money with your film projects and show you how to turn your indie film into a profitable business. With case studies examining successes and failures, this book shows you the step-by-step method to turn your passion into a profitable career. If you're making a feature film, series, or any other kind of video content, the Film Entrepreneur Method will set you up for success. The book is available in paperback, ebook, and of course, audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's filmbizbook.com. Well, guys, today on the show, we have South by Southwest 
filmmaker Eli Horowitz, and he has a new film called The Cow, starring Winona Ryder and Dermot Maloney. Now, Eli and I discuss how he was able to get his movie made, the circumstances of how he got there, his meteoric rise in the film industry doing some insane paths to get to where he is in the world, really one of the most interesting journeys to get to where he is in the film industry that I've ever heard on the show before. So it's really, really fascinating, starting with a podcast, but really starting off with you know, experimental publishing and so much other things going on. So without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Eli Horowitz. I'd like to welcome to the show Eli Horowitz. How are you doing, Eli? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I appreciate you coming on the show. You are uh, your your new film, The Cow, is going to be premiering at South by, and we're going to get into the weeds on how the hell you made that thing come to come to life. I'm really curious to see how that came to life. It's a fantastic film. But um, but first, man, how did you and why did you get into the film industry? I mean, this is an insanity. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a circuitous path for me. It wasn't ever something I imagined what happened um because this is my first movie my first i never even made a short film or anything um so i spent most of my 20s and part of my 30s a good part of my 30s kind of doing um independent publishing i worked for this place mcsweeney's so i was editing and designing the books and um so that was my world for about 10 years or so moved from that into some kind of weird digital novel projects some sort of you know, apps and exploring geography all sorts of weird stuff i can ramble about if you want from there i stumbled into podcasting um and so i ended up co-creating the homecoming podcast um with my with micah bloomberg and that was sort of at this beginning kind of of podcasting stepping to the spotlight these narrative podcasts um and it started kathy keener and oscar isaac and david schwimmer and so that got some attention and as a result, it became the Homecoming TV show, um, which Mike and I were the co-showrunners of. That was on Amazon for a couple of years. And then from that, I ended up doing this. So it was really very much a one step leading to another, never having a, a plan. You know, I'm from Virginia and like the idea of actually kind of making a movie was always felt very foreign. So it wasn't even really on my radar. So, so the traditional way you make movies is what you're saying. The traditional path that everybody goes down is what you're saying. Got it. Uh, so, so yeah, because I, I, you know, doing research on you, I'm like, oh, this is these guys are the homecoming. You know, you did homecoming, and mm-hmm. and you know, I'm obviously a podcaster. So, you know, I, I've been podcasting since 2015 when apparently it wasn't cool back then. Uh, now yeah. it's super. Now it's super cool. People are getting yeah, deals right. off a of podcast. I'm still waiting. Yeah, for, I'm still waiting for my phone call, but. <laughs> But the um, but you had a narrative podcast. So how did you? I, I've always been fascinated. How did you put together such a cast for a narrative podcast? Which uh, you didn't have like a wealth of history doing podcasts or anything like that. So how did you even get that small project off the ground? It was very strange. I mean, so it was with Gimlet, this podcasting company that was kind of gaining some energy. That so that gave it credibility. Um, but it was their first narrative one. Um. We were working with this producer, Lisa Vancouvering, who, I mean, I was thinking we would just find like whoever or use my friends or something. She thought, no, it could be more. And so she kind of led the train in trying to get them. Um, but it was also, I think, a novelty. I mean, the first one we got was Catherine Keener. Um, 
And it all flowed from there. And that was just, it was a huge shock. I don't really know why it happened. I can say it was partly because, you know, she just, for the whole first season, she had to work for, I think, four days, you know? Right. Obviously, you didn't have to get into costume or makeup or anything like that. Um, and, you know, they really get to actually act, which I think for most of them is what they actually like to do more than anything, you know, be in these scenes, read these lines, explore these characters. There was no setup. There was no teardown. There was no waiting in the trailer. There was none of the around. So I think it was an easy thing to kind of take a chance on. Um, but I don't really know. I mean, the real answer is I have no idea. It was a strange fluke that continues to have strange repercussions until today. And then how did you get the call that Amazon wanted to produce a show, a narrative show based on this podcast? Well, it was one of these things where um, at each step of the way, the thing seemed somewhat plausible, the next step, right? So it's like, you know, once we had this great cast, then, okay, some people are going to, it's going to get some attention. That's not crazy. Then when it's getting some attention, it's, um, well, sure, like people are going to kind of Hollywood sniff around and make conference calls, you know. <laughs> and then, okay, when we're having the conference call, we'll have another conference call. You know, in each case, it was just like flipping a coin and it coming up tails, right? And so no one thing was such a shock, but then it just happened kind of 13 times in a row. And then six months later, we were there with, you know, Julia Roberts and Sam Esmail making the TV show. That's pretty quick, too. That's a really quick turnaround. So, yeah, I mean, that might be slightly exaggerated. So the first episode of the podcast came out in November of 2016 and it okay. finished in, I think, January 2016. We were in the writer's room by August of 2017. So in the writer's room, yeah, basically seven months after the podcast ended. Uh -huh. And then it came out, yeah, seven months after that or something. And how, did, and how did you attract Julia Roberts to a tell? I mean, because she doesn't do TV. Or yeah, I've never done TV before. Yeah. Um, it was another one of these things where it's like <laughs> when we were like having all our conference calls, people were saying like, we heard Julia Roberts is interested. Julia Roberts is definitely interested. She's a big fan. You know, and it's like exciting, but it's also like really <laughs> I think that in my old age, I've earned to like, all right, that's cool. You know, but then because of that, it wasn't shocking when someone said it again, that she was still interested. And then because of that, after we had heard she was interested five times, well, then it made sense that she was doing it. You know, maybe I was delusional, but it just kind of one thing kept leading to another. I can't really explain it. When I stand back, I'm aware how strange it is. But So so have you been buying lottery tickets lately? Because there's apparently some <laughs> sort of lucky streak that you should be taking advantage of even I more so. It all <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, back to the show. Is this I've it? Used it all You've used all, the, you know, and 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 again, I, mean, I was plenty of other things, you know, plenty of other things. That's the you only. I mean, this there's like a survivor bias or a confirmation bias, but all this stuff, you never see all the things that fizzle, right? That don't happen. Oh, the times when somebody mentions this person's interested, and then you never hear about it again, right? So right. It, it it does give a kind of weird sense of it, I think, to hear these stories. Right, exactly. And I always like telling the audience is just like, look, yeah, because I've had a lot of. I, I love dissecting the path of filmmakers and how they get, especially from their beginnings, how they got the opportunities because it's so difficult to get into the business, you know, let alone when you're trying as opposed to when you're not trying. And I've, I've had many filmmakers on the show that weren't trying either and got these things. But I, it's never like someone just knocked on your door and like, here's some money. Let's let's go make a movie. You're working. You're doing stuff that is putting yourself out there. And yes, certain chips fell at the right place, right time, right product kind of scenario that allowed this to kind of go. But it's just like, man, when it's your path, it's your path, man. There's just like, doors just swing open when -hmm. you're supposed to be doing, when you're walking the right path, things just happen for you. And and sometimes, you know, it it does it. (laughs) Most of the times it doesn't. I mean, you mentioned lottery tickets. I do think it's like that. Like you need to have a bunch of them, right? So I did a bunch of different projects tried a bunch of different things, worked at a bunch of different mediums. A lot of them, you know, I did a book that probably sold, like I wrote a book that was like 1,500 people, you know? Um, And you just keep kind of making things and doing things and then maybe something will work. But maybe I didn't feel like those other things didn't work because I wasn't going towards a certain goal. I was trying to focus on, you know, the project at hand. So... You were yeah. you were you were blessed without having the goal of being a filmmaker at twenty, and you were struggling at a publishing company. But what you really wanted to yeah. do was direct. You were stuck. You were not stuck, but you were on that path trying to make that work. And then these other opportunities presented themselves. I could never have done that. What I think a lot of people have to do, you know, that really like having a goal. And um, I don't think I would have had what it takes to really have that kind of focus and drive. While sensing, I have to kind of convince myself that I'm doing something that no one's ever done before or is even trying to do. Because if I feel that kind of crowd around me, it it becomes a little depressing. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, you also, you know, with your partner, you guys were showrunners on Homecoming, which uh-huh. is yeah. very odd as well. That doesn't yeah. happen first time out, let alone you've done yeah. not, not even a short prior to this. So what was right. that experience and how did that happen? Well, that was that was really due to Sam Esmail and to Chad Hamilton, his producing partner. So Sam Esmail is from Mr. Robot and stuff. And, um, you know, I think he um, likes to kind of blaze his own trail 
too. And so very much had the attitude of like, you guys want to do this? Just do it. You know, we'll figure it out. There's nothing fancy about it. And he, it also really helped. So he, Mike and I were the showrunners. Sam directed all the episodes of the first season. Um, so, you know, that took a big part of the classic showrunner responsibility off our plate in terms of like managing all these different directors for every episode and recreating the show each time. Um, but there was a ton to learn. Micah definitely knew more than I did going into it. He had been working as a uh, uh, product, doing production sound for indie films for like 10 years before that. For me, everything was new. And again, the only, the only way I was qualified or ready for it was because I hadn't really been qualified for anything else I had done before. You know, when I was dropped into like editing and designing books, I hadn't done that before. When I did Homecoming, I had done a podcast before. So I did have a kind of sense that if you just pay attention and work hard and listen, you can, you can figure things out. Um, and it, in a sense, it all, a lot of it comes down to story, right? right? And I did think I had a good sense of that. Um, I had a lot of experience with collaboration. So maybe like the core, core skills I was sort of equipped with. But in terms of the details, I mean, yeah, I was in way over my head. I mean, I remember even, you know, the first day on set, like um, putting on the headset, you know, listening. And um, I was thinking, oh, this is just like that scene in Notting Hill when he go, you know, <laughs> like my reference point is so childish. Um, but, you know, you learn, you get help, you do your best. And then, I mean, that's still where I'm at very much. So, you know. So you were Hugh Grant in that scenario. You were. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. So, but also, I mean, I have to imagine because, you know, after I've, been, I've spoken to so many different people on my show over the years, the one thing that's a common thread is imposter syndrome, which people just mm -hmm. think at any moment, security is going to come and escort you off the set. I have to right. believe that you must have had that by the buckets uh, on that set because literally you're just like, I feel like I'm in Notting Hill. Like, am I? Is someone going to come and take me off the set at any moment? It happens to Oscar winners, so I have to imagine it happened to you. I would say yes and no. Yes, and probably for the most part, even on this movie, when we can talk about that. Yeah. But um, it's more like, I guess, I have a constant sense of, of I'm trying to figure this out, like I was saying, for all those other projects. So it's not like that there's a level you're supposed to be at and I'm not at that. It's yeah. like, I don't know what I'm doing so let me try to figure it out right. so um it's imposter syndrome but maybe without the panic i mean my biggest day of panic of this whole process was the night before the first day podcast because i was directing that and i didn't even know i never literally never seen anyone direct before and it's a hard thing to you can't watch clips really on YouTube, particularly. I mean, maybe there's some clips that someone could send me, you know? So I was literally Googling like how to direct, you know? Um, Cause I was sure these people would be like A plus plus cause I got these amazing actors and it was all about how do I look like a director? How do I not like just seem like a fraud? You know, so that day I very much had it. But then what I find is, you know, once you jump in, essentially everything is like everything else on some level, it's like you're in this group of small group of people, you're trying to figure out how to make it work. And you're just trying to give and take and find solutions, you know? So you didn't, so you didn't come on set with a director shirt on that said director with a monocle and a bullhorn. Uh, you didn't, you didn't do that. I had them in my bag in case just I needed it. 
<laughs> yeah, that's always my favorite when I go on a set and I see the director has a director's shirt on that says director uh-huh. on it. I'm like, oh, this is this is probably not going to end well. It just says director. It literally That's just says it. Oh no, that is uh-huh. that is that is not only just a thing. On a project that I was on years ago, I wrote my first book was based on uh, me almost directing a movie for the mafia back in when I was in my twenties. The the gangster mm-hmm. that I was the producer literally bought shirts for all the crew members for the day that we were doing the the, the sizzle. But he put director on every shirt, so the entire cat the entire crew was walking around with director on. <laughs> so think about yeah. imposter syndrome at that point. Right. It'd be good to like, I guess, stop like a, if there was assassin coming for the director, then you have right. everyone I mean, where. So there, uh, on that sense, on that sense, I was safe that day. That day I, I could yeah. at least two or three would have gone down before they got to me. Uh, <laughs> so no, I have me, to ask. I it's it's like almost the opposite. It's where when I get nervous is when I feel like I have to look like I totally know what I'm doing. Right, of course. Yeah. So that's one of the parts about directing. I probably, you know, still, of course, I mean, there's many parts that I still need to work on, but that's really one of kind of, because people do, I think, want to look to you as someone, I mean, there's a balance. You want to seem present and question right. and collaborative, but I think it's also helpful to seem like you've got it, you've got a clear vision and everyone is going to play their part in that. Um, and so I almost have, I think, a tougher time with that second half of that, of projecting like, Right, because, because you've got to have that fine balance of everybody has trust that you know where the, the ship is going, but you're also open enough to under not to be so arrogant to go. I know everything. I I don't need any help. So you get, it's a really fine balance yeah. of like, hey, I don't know this. How can we work? And you have great collaborators: your DP, your production designer, your actors. Right. You know, especially the caliber of actors that you know you've been working with, so you mm-hmm. can kind of work it all together. I have to ask so. When, when when the first time you met Julia Roberts and she walked into the room, mm-hmm. dude, what's that like? I mean, a guy from our generation is like, you know, working with Julia Roberts. You're like, what the hell, man? You know, it was crazy, but it was the same kind of thing where by the time we got there, um, I mean, A, it was very strange, like with Catherine Keener, with Oscar Isaac, was Dear Swimmers, strange even before that with other kind of authors that I've worked, you know, with like sure. Reading with Stephen King in my 20s, you know, that was like, so I, again, you kind of get used to the general phenomenon. And then also, you know, someone like Julia has been spending the last 30 years meeting people who are meeting her for the first time, you know, so she knows um, that, she knows she's that very good at kind of putting people at ease and setting the good tone. She was, she was such a professional through that whole project. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. That's amazing. Now on that, on the, on either both the, the podcast and or the show of Homecoming, 
what was the worst day where you felt like the entire world was coming crashing down around you and how did you kind of overcome that and that could have been completely internal it could be a completely yeah. internal breakdown <laughs> which, ha which happens to all of us by the way <laughs> yeah yeah i'm trying to think i mean definitely the um in some ways it was that kind of night before the podcast started where i felt the most just like why did I do this? Can I just go home and said, you know, um, and once you're in it, you're just figuring it out. You know, like there was certainly like while shooting it, there's days where things are going wrong or just long days or whatever, or, you know, I can't get into full stories, but like in season two of homecoming, it got, you know, like when you get more organizational and with levels of uh, studios and networks, some of that can be kind of, frustrating let's mm -hmm. say but um almost everything else after that first night was in a um it was out there as a problem to be solved it didn't i can't remember a time when it felt like totalizing like oh we're doomed you know right. we were just like well let's let's figure it out you know I mean, you had a hell. I mean, you have some hell of a collaborators on that. That show yeah. was gorgeous. It was so well done, so well produced, so well acted, yeah. so well written. Uh, you know, it, it, it's you could. I think directing half of. The, I mean, I'd say ninety percent of directing is who you collaborate with between actors no and DP and all your crew, because they, you know you're, they're bringing so much experience to the table. You just kind of like. Yeah, I mean, in a way, it's the easiest job you know being the show owner i mean show owner a lot of days we just kind of like sit there and sort of say what we thought about things or answer you know but like ev all the other work was everyone else was actually doing the actual work um so yeah the collaborators make so much of a difference and that's how i like to work anyway so now now the cow uh i just had the pleasure mm -hmm. of watching the cow it is uh it is a fascinating film to say the least <laughs> it stars uh two of our generation's great actors uh mm -hmm. winona Ryder and, and german uh, uh, i can never say his last name i'm mulroney mulroney thank you i oh Dermino, oh, yes, uh, yes, exactly. But they, uh, they're fast. They were just wonderful. And I have to ask you first: How did you get this? What, what? How did you come up with this script? First of all, and then how did you get money for this film? Because this is not blockbuster. You know, there's no, there's no capes right. here. <laughs> right. Well, it was a um, another fairly random thing. It was while I was working on Homecoming, the TV show. I got this cold email from these guys at Boulder Lake. This, these kind of, they do, they've done about 11 movies, but they were, they were these two friends from childhood who were like 28 years old at the time, you know, uh, mostly doing, I think, low budget horror. And they just asked if we could meet. And, at, you know, I was in LA. We were, I think, writing the second season. I live in San Francisco. So I was kind of very out of place. Didn't really know a ton of people. My wife was still back here. My friends were here. I said, sure, I'll meet, I'll hang out. We hung out once, I guess maybe twice. And then they, and meanwhile, I was feeling somewhat frustrated in that second season. Um, you know, I come from this kind of indie publishing background, very hands on, doing all the things. And then the bigness of Homecoming, it has a lot of advantages, but also was becoming a little wearying. Um, just whenever there's that much money and size involved, it mm -hmm. has ripple effects, both in terms of like, you know, all the different 
um, voices and factors you have to consider. And even just little things like, um, you know, when you're choosing a location, you have to think of like, how are you going to park these five camera trucks at that location? You know, just like the physical size of the OSS. So that was all the interview totally in tune with my DNA, just how I like to work and how I came up. And I think they picked up on that and they were looking to work with different kinds of people. And so they just sent me an email that said like, if you want to make a movie, um, true crime, thriller or horror, 80 to 120 minutes, write and direct budget of $200,000. And that just sounded like such a nice change of pace, you know, when I was doing, and also just like a good experiment. Like before I was probably ready to kind of probably be like, well, this world's probably not for me. And so I thought, well, before I decide that, let me try working in this medium, but in a different style and see how I feel about that, you know? And um, so it sounded like a, a great, opportunity you know um i thought i imagined kind of like a roger corman type situation you know mm-hmm. like banging it out getting it done figuring it out no one watching um so that was that so then i just started writing i mean i thought it was a done deal i guess it probably in reality could have fallen apart at any moment after that you know but i was like okay i'm making this movie so then i hooked up with my friend uh matt derby um who some i've written another book and did some other projects with him earlier really talented writer and hard worker. Um, but so the genesis of the actual movie and the story was, well, how do you make a movie for $200,000? Um, so the budget, I said, ended up creeping up as we got this cast and stuff. I think it ended up more and more around a million or so. I don't know if that's a secret or not. Um, maybe we'll have to tell you to edit it out someday. But, um, <laughs> so, but meanwhile, what I had been doing while I was, just before I did the homecoming podcast was I bought and fixed up this rundown old cabin in the woods about an hour and a half north of here in the Redwoods. Um, and so I'd been staying there sometimes and renting it out sometimes. And I thought, well, one way to make it for cheap is put it in my house. So that literally um, was your, that was literally your place. Yeah. That's, that's my house. Yeah. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful location, it's, brother. <laughs> it's a great location. Yeah. The house is actually a mobile home. There's still wheels underneath it, but then this whole kind of cabin around it. Um, but yeah, the location's amazing. End of the road, redwoods, view. Um, so yeah, I just thought, let's set it there. And that was before I had a story or anything. It was just, it's going to happen in this house or part of it will happen in this house. You, back, you backed into the budget. You backed into the budget. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how I work. You know, it's it's hard for me just to think of story in the abstract it's i sort of try and think a lot about the form first with all my projects um you know the whole story of homecoming came out of what how how do we tell a story in audio without a narrator and every detail about the story kind of flowed out of that so this was how how do you make a movie two hundred thousand dollars you know i'm sure there's a lot of other ways that people have done it for less of course but um This is a starting point. Well, yeah, I mean, so, all right, so you start off with $200,000. You start backing into this thing. So mm-hmm. you write the script. Uh, they give you, mm-hmm. they love that. They read the script. They love the script. They're like, let's make this thing happen. Now let's get a cast mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you get Winona and, and Dylan on board? I just wrote her um, a note 
I mean, you know, went through normal channels, um, went through her manager, I believe, but um, I had two things in my favor. Never met her before. I didn't know anyone who knew her. But um, one, she actually grew up for a lot of her childhood in this area, in this kind of northern California, even some of these specific locations we went to. We filmed half of the movie in Petaluma, which is actually where she went to high school. Um, so there was kind of that whole connection. I don't know whether that sealed the deal or not, but I threw that out. Um, and then also, her name isn't actually Winona Ryder. That's it's, part no, of no. I, it's, uh, wait a minute, if I may, if I may, may I, because I am a, an '80s geek. Uh, <laughs> her last name is Horowitz. Exactly. <laughs> so no relation to anything, but um, I was able to throw that out too. Um, and then we just sent the script, you know, and, um, four days later, she texted me. It was just like 11 at night. And she texted me. I was like, my dude, it's Winona. Love the script. Let's do it. So that was another one of the very strange moments, but I guess she liked the script. I mean, there was nothing else going for it. So that's, and then of course, once Winona's involved, then it's, it's a little bit easier now to start building up. Other, I guess another thing, if we're looking for like life lessons or whatever, I think another thing that helped was, so McSweeney's is the publishing company I worked at for 10 years. Mm -hmm. She had back then been a big fan of McSweeney's. So that's just to say, like, when you make things and put them out into the world, their lives and ripple effects can go by very unconventional patterns, you know? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. Listen, I just had a I, I, little yesterday. Literally, this happened to me. Uh, I won't say who it is, but I got an email from a former guest who's like, hey, man, I just want you to know uh, I got this email from this guy. Take a listen. And I'm reading it. And I'm like. Holy cow, this person is listening to my podcast. <laughs> and I'm like, how is that? How what? I'm like, and I just kind of like put it out there. And and yeah. I'm always fascinated about who you meet along the way. They're like, dude, I've been a fan of yours forever. I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. Right. right. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's insane. And it can come in unexpected ways or it can come years after the fact. Exactly. But yeah. 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 It's and you don't do it because you're like, okay, when I put this one out. You know, Steven Spielberg is gonna listen to this. I'm, I'm that's not Steven, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there, everybody. It's not Steven Spielberg, uh, but which that's how that's exactly what you'd say if it was Steven Spielberg, though. So, probably Steven Spielberg. I'm it gonna was, say it's really it's James Cameron, it's, it's James, Steven Spielberg, it's James, it could be James Cameron, but no, I'm joking. It is. <laughs> Trust me, James is probably, he's not listening to the podcast right now. Let's just put it that way. He's in Avatar world. So, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You never know what happens when you put something out and how it affects other people. And that's remarkable. So, so you got, you got the one, you got, you know, the, the big, the big fish, which is Winona. And mm -hmm. then that kind of just as a ripple effect, I'm bringing everybody else in. Yeah. I had actually worked with, uh, with Dermot Mulroney on, 
homecoming. He had a, he was in a couple episodes of that, and he was great to work with. And then yeah, but it really you know same as having Catherine Keener for the podcast, um, getting Winona for the movie. Do you recommend? Things- uh, yeah, it makes things easier. And I want people listening to understand that that if you're able to, nobody wants to be the first to the party. That's with financing, mm-hmm. and that's with cast. Though cast, right. if they really are attached to the project and the creator, it's easier to get a big name attached first before money shows up. And then that kind of helps the the doors all start swinging open after the fact. So exactly. I would go yeah, out. Go ahead. And having a date, I think, right? Like having a production date is the other thing that can really <laughs> help. Like this is actually happening. It's not just one of these many other things in a big mushy pool. Right, exactly. You get you get like, well, we need you on November this to November this. That's when we're shooting. Are you available? Yep, we right. have an opening in that schedule. Perfect. Let's lock that in. And right. then now you're right. now you're in a r- mad rush to make sure every other part of the puzzle is prepared for that date. Right. Right. So what was the uh, so okay? So now you're directing your first feature. You've got an amazing cast. Um, yes, you're in your home, so you feel a little bit more comfortable. But uh, you know, on that first day, man, when you walk on set as a director, man, what the yeah. hell was that like? <laughs> well, that was definitely there was definitely a lot of imposter syndrome then. I mean, I remember um, even more than the first day. I remember <laughs> when you're about to start the first scene. <laughs> Um, cause I had this great AD, this guy, Travis LaSalle, and we worked on a bunch of stuff. We had talked over a couple just key basics, which was like, oh, wait, am I actually going to like say, how did this scene start? Like they were all ready and I was watching and then Travis looked over me and was like, say, say, was like, say oh. action. <laughs> and then he finished and he looked over me again. I was like, cut. <laughs> um, so yes, on a very basic level, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but but it was great. I mean, it was especially just as it happened, like the first few days, the cast was super prepared. The crew was ready. We had good scenes. We didn't overload the days for those first couple. So um, yeah, that really helped us get off to a, a strong start. And again, it's like I keep saying, like the um, all the packaging or trappings or cosmetics that's where it's kind of being unfamiliar and stressful. But then once we were in it, you know, obviously you knew this story really well, um, had a good relationship. I made sure to, as much as possible, talk to the cast. You know, you have limited, we didn't have actually any rehearsal time, but individually with each of them, we had kind of multiple times talking through the script and the role in the scenes, which wasn't even so important for the actual content. I mean, maybe some, but it just really helped kind of build up this level of trust. So then when the scene's not working, you just get in there and say, what do we think? I'm trying to get it more like this. What do you think? You know, and you're just two people working for a solution together. Right. So that's how that's that's how you approach directing the actors. You kind of just sit there and exactly. like, I mean, you obviously know what you want in a scene. Mm-hmm. You want, and you know what you want out of the actors, but you're like, what do you think? How do you, how do you see this going? I mean, because again, when you're working with the kind of actors you're working with, I mean, you know, Winona and Dylan, and they've, they've been around the block so Mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. you'd, you'd be foolish not to listen to some of their ideas at this point yeah. but just as much for you know like like 20 years old um so yeah i mean the thing i don't know how to do at all you know there's this other version of directing where you're kind of like somehow eliciting these performances i mean i don't want to call it mind games because that makes it sound too negative although i'm sure sometimes it is a bad thing but just like 
pushing the buttons and triggering the moment and stuff and having a certain mystique. I just don't don't know how to pull it off. And that's when I would really feel kind of imposter syndrome, you know? Um, I just find that too exhausting. So, and I've just been ever, I haven't, in my experience, people haven't also responded to things like, you know, pretend like this table is on fire for this scene, right? And like, that's your triggering sense. You know, it's a thing and I'm sure it works sometimes, but I just um, can't take myself seriously unless I'm just having a normal conversation with someone. No, the best is, the, the, the I had a director on the show tell me uh, this amazing technique, which I've used since then as on set, where you tell the one actor, it's two people in the scene and they're talking to uh-huh. each other and you tell one actor to like, okay, make sure that anything that this person says to you you are completely rejecting it internally. Oh, and then the other right. one is like, you say the opposite, the other one, and that they don't right. know that as actors. Right, right, right. And when they're in the scene, they just start feeding off each other. And right. that, that I think that's a really yeah. well, good way to kind of, it's not a manipulator and it's not a mind game. It's just no, no. motivations. But the other yeah. person doesn't need to know the motivation. It's a personal right. thing with those right. actors. That I found right. really works well as mm-hmm. as a director, as opposed to, you know, if he wants to make someone cry, you yell and scream and insult them on set. Like right. that's, you know. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, every now and then I would get, I'm trying to think like one thing I did that I was proud of that I don't know, that probably had no effect at all was, um. so it's this couple, um, which is Owen Teague and Brianne Chu, this kind of young couple, and they both um had some tattoos, fake tattoos, you know, um, for the character. But I had them, come up with a matching basically matching pair of tattoos um mm. and not tell me what they meant so only they would know what those tattoos meant so i kind of thought that would kind of create a um you know a sense of them as a couple with a secret you know um right maybe that worked i think mostly it probably made me just feel like i was the clever guy for a day and made them feel clever <laughs> Um, you know, I tried sometimes. <laughs> no, exactly. Like, the, but those are the those are the little fun things you get to do with actors. It's it's just a, a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Was there a day on on the cow where you felt the world was coming down, crashing around you as a director? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of those. I mean, one thing I kept going back to was it was this interview with uh, George Miller, oh. who said that like he was talking to some other young director who's giving them advice. And he said, like, the day will come when you feel that everything's going wrong and you have no idea what you're doing. Just keep going. And then at the end of that, that director called him back and was like, yes, that was good advice. But what you didn't tell me was that that would be every single day. (laughs) Um, And yeah, that definitely (laughs) happened. Um, Almost every day there was some time or another when it was just like yeah yeah the yeah the, the camera's not working the, we're losing light the actors there's something wrong with the location there's oh there's yes. co- i mean you did this during covid as well so there's covid protocols uh-huh. so, yeah, there, yeah. The, the money's not there food's not arriving at this time the, the trailer didn't show up all this craziness yeah. that we have to deal with as a director it's insane <laughs> yeah yeah it was really just good to know that like my job is just to get through these 19 days kind of and it's not for me to decide whether this is any good whether this was a good decision whether this is going to work out whether it was worth doing in the first place just shut that part of my brain off and just um just get through it 
and and you did man and uh, you know you got you went through, you you got it done it looks fantastic you get it through post and then you guys submit to you know to the festival circuit and you get the phone call what was the phone call from south by like that was great i mean it was it was another one of these things where you hear kind of rumblings before it comes we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to the show. But this was really my, um, you know, my two things I wanted was to get to go with it to a festival and then for one of these, uh, for Brienne and Owen, like, because I thought they did such a great job for them, for to see them, like, go on to bigger and better things. Those were the kind of two concrete things that I could, could look for for this movie. Because, um, you know, everything else is so... Right. nebulous they go out to the world some people see it some people don't see it some people like it some people don't like it whatever um but um so it was really fun so i'm so excited you know i'm going to fly down to texas tomorrow and um yeah i'm just excited for the whole experience of it even you're seeing the other movies i mean also just after these two years of covid like i'm excited to see like a finger <laughs> food in an open bar you know like um oh yeah it's gonna be a lot of new things for me. <laughs> bring a uh, bring a jacket. I'm uh, just gonna let oh, yeah, you br- yeah. bring a jacket. It's not uh, it's not hot right now in Texas. Yeah, so right. I'm just um, it's it's a little bit chilly, especially at night. <laughs> so um, now, is there something that you could, if you could, would you go back and what what would you say to your younger self starting this part of your journey? Like when you went into the like on the podcast, if you could go back and like a few mm-hmm. days before the podcast and go look, dude. You're going to go through a hell of a, a journey right now. This mm-hmm. is the one thing. This is the one thing I wish I would have known. Well, I would say two things. One is this kind of point I'm making where it's like, in the end, it just comes back to normal foundational skills. You know, if you know the story and you're willing to talk and listen and be collaborative and ask questions, that can take you through almost everything to some extent, you know? Um, so no need to panic about anything. And then the other, which I'm still trying to keep an eye on, is just make sure you have a decent sense of why you're doing the thing that you're doing. I think it's especially something um, that I'm grappling with now is you know, in this industry, it seems like there's a lot of like opportunities that are half presented, that are floated, that you're supposed to chase for. There's a kind of a clear sense of like what the ladder is and you're supposed to always be moving up a bit. You know, previously I didn't have that as much because we were sort of in my own little world doing things. I was out of the, you know, publishing was all in New York. I was living in San Francisco. It was just, it was easier to just focus on the thing at hand and try and do it as well as you can. And now there's, Sometimes you'll 
you know, you'll hear about something that seems like a good opportunity or can I pass this up or I should jump on it while I can. And sometimes that's true, but there's also just um, a kind of gravitational pull of those things that might not really speak to who you actually are or what you actually want to be doing. And so being willing to um, actually chart your own path in this industry that I don't think is particularly suited for that, um, or at least not very encouraging of that, um, is something I'm still trying to grapple with. Oh yeah, you definitely have not walked the path of of what Hollywood expects uh, or wants. Yeah, this you've definitely been burning. I mean, even doing this movie, probably like if I had, I don't know, I'm just making this up, but like you know, like after doing Homecoming, which is like a big show, I think probably a lot of people would have thought like. Well, now it's I should be trying to do a movie as big as that, right? You know? with, with with a Julia yeah. Roberts style, you know, this kind of budget and whatever, you know. And instead, just being like, I like these guys. It sounds like a fun opportunity. Let me just do it. You know, I think I'm really glad I did. Um, but it's still like a every week. There's something where you kind of need to check in with yourself about that. It's hard to calibrate exactly right. Right. No, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Look, you, you're doing fine, brother. Don't, don't, uh, don't, don't you, don't you, uh, don't you let anyone else tell you any different, brother. You are doing just fine. I always tell people to listen to your gut, man. If, 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 if it makes sense to your gut, don't, if you start trying to play the Hollywood game, you will lose because that game has been lost by the best. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no one ever feels like they've made it. No one can ever like snap their fingers and get what they want. I mean, maybe two or three people in the entire even, industry. Even the two or three people in the entire industry that can do it is it is specific kinds of films. Right. So James Cameron can make could get Avatar made, which is an insanity, but probably arguably the only human being on the planet that could do something like that. Mm-hmm. But if he's like, what I really want to do is a comedy that mm-hmm. costs five hundred million. Yeah, you see, that's not <laughs> happened. That's not <laughs> that's not right. Spiel- right. Spielberg right. couldn't get Lincoln made, man. You know, and, and right. Scorsese couldn't get Irishman made until Netflix showed up. Like, right? It, 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 there's very few. So, so if you ever think you're ever going to get to this like promised land, if I just do this, then you know you're still always yourself. You the know. only the only guy who could do that is Nolan. Nolan's the only human being right now on the planet that could basically could do whatever he wants, uh, and he has a, he has a blank check right now. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I know. I wonder if he feels like you know. Everyone, I think, still feels kind of agreed, frustrated or limited, or why isn't this working out the way I should? Or if I only this or no? I mean, yeah. look. I mean, he's making a movie about Oppenheimer for a hundred million dollars at a studio. <laughs> Not many human beings get to do that, bro. <laughs> you know. So it's it's pretty. But you're right. I don't think he's sitting there going, "Ha," smoking the cigar, going, "Hey, uh, so what else am I gonna do now? Let's oh, let's shoot it in black and white while we're at it. Let's." <laughs> But it's always like I always like I always I I don't know about you, but I always like watching you know the the, the titans of our business take swings at the bat, mm-hmm. at, at mm-hmm. You know, just at bat because yeah. they're the ones that move they move they move the line, man. They move the chains for all of us because right. yeah. if they don't, man, you know it starts started back in you know in the early silent days with Chaplin. They were all taking mm-hmm. swings, and we all kind of moved the whole medium forward. So it's right. pretty right right pretty remarkable. Oh now where's where is um. Where's the cow going to be screened? Uh, like, what are the t- days and times? It's on Sunday at the Zach Theater. That's the premiere. And then it's um, Tuesday. I'll be there also at the screening on Tuesday. I'm not sure which theater. And then also, I think, Wednesday. Great. And there is there any distribution yet or not yet? No, I think that's the, what the festival is 
Four. I wish. I wish you. I'm sure. I'm sure you'll do okay, brother. I'm sure you're gonna do it. If if your road that it's up to this point is any indication of how things are rolling out for you on certain things, you're only hearing about the good roads. No, I know. No, I look. I know, and I I, I'm joking with you because I know there's been a lot of pain. I know there's been a lot of suffering along those things. A lot of things. I'm getting this emotion. I just mean I could list my four other projects I've done in the last two years that you haven't heard of. You know, exactly. I did a whole other podcast that you've never heard of and no one's ever listened to that came out last year, you know? And pilot canceled. I'm coming on the show, you know? It happens. It happens. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. But uh, but I think <laughs> on this, I think I think you'll do okay. If, if any, indi- any indication after watching the movie, I think, I think you'll be fine. Now I'm going to ask yeah, you a few great. questions I ask all my guests. What advice would you give a sure. filmmaker trying to break into the business today? I mean, I think like we're saying, it just finish things. Have things that exist around the world. Don't just try and um, wait for things to line up for that one big strike. Just make things. What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film industry or in life? Um, I mean, I'm sure. Um, honestly, the thing I've been reminding myself lately is that I actually like to work because um, I kind of reflect it and I'm like, ah, I don't want that sound. And then I sit around and I'm just doing nothing and I feel extremely grouchy all day. I'm like, what's the way to do it? You know, so I'm trying to remind myself, no, you actually like doing these things. You want to do them. So right. fair enough. And three of your favorite films of all time. Oh, of all time. I'm just going to say in the last, um, I'll have to just say in the last, few weeks or something. I don't even know all the time. I can say something. I can say three films that helped inspire the cow. How about that? Fair enough. Um, so one was this movie came out about maybe three, four years ago called Border. It's a Danish movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that This is definitely goes in the category of the less you know, the better. These are really my favorite movies in general is ones where um, what the movie is kind of unfolds in front of you as you're watching it, instead of saying like, this is a heist movie and then it's going to be a fun heist, but you basically know the start, the end, the middle, whatever. So Border's the first one and that it's, I don't mean to make it sound kind of um, impenetrable or anything. It's almost like a fairy tale, but meets a noir and it helped really inspire um, the cow. Um, keeping with the, um, that category, maybe I would say pig, which I hadn't, seen yet when I made cow, but I felt definitely some affinity for, you know, there's definitely a whole cow, pig, lamb, livestock, triple feature movement coming on. Um, We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. But I really loved the way that one kind of created its own world and its own tone. It was a very specific tone, which I feel like some people even viewing didn't quite get, I mean, I don't know, everyone can get their own view of it, but I feel like it was very aware of its own sense of humor and its own sense of strangeness and was willing to, to be kind of elusive in that way. Um, you know, something I wonder about for the cow and all my projects is like, are they a fun mix or are they neither here nor there? And that was very willing and border also was to just, um, straddle those lines and be their own thing and, and just let the chips fall where they may. Um, and then let's say, um, I don't know, something that I really liked was 10 Cloverfield Lane. 
just yeah. like a nice contained classic movie that I thought was really smart about always being um, aware of what your expectations were and meeting them quite soon instead of like stretching out for an hour like wait is it possible that this guy's lying or is it possible they're you know get into there in 15 minutes and then do another and then another and then another um so really being conscious of the viewer and giving them credit and playing with that and being in dialogue with that um i thought that movie did a great job of Eli, man, I appreciate you coming on the show. Congratulations on the cow. I wish you nothing but success with the film. I think it's going to do very well, like I said before. And uh, uh, just uh, keep keep walking the path, brother. You're doing you're doing you're doing you're doing just fine, brother. Walk the path, thank man. You. Thanks thank for being you on the much. show, brother. All right, bye bye. I want to thank Eli for coming on the show and dropping his knowledge bombs on the tribe today. Thank you so much, Eli. If you want to get a link to anything we spoke about in this episode. Head over to the show notes at IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 564. And if you want to see his movie, it is at South by Southwest 2022. I'll have a link to Showtimes in the show notes. And you, if you go to South by, you might see me walking around. I am going to be floating around South by, my first South by ever since I moved to Austin. So I'm excited to see some of the tribe there. So definitely check it out. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.